Alright, welcome back. You are listening to Art Smitten here on Sin Nation. We have Farron Martin in the studio with us. Christian, you've been excited for this. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Farron is here to talk to us about uh, North of Eight's uh, new production called, um, or latest production called Toya, which I had the absolute pleasure of seeing um, last Friday night. So, welcome to Art Smitten, Farron. Oh, Farron, sorry. Thank you. You may have been Farron for so long, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we met each other, you said, oh, hi, I'm Farron. Like, oh, no. <laughs> That's all right. It happens all the time. <laughs> True, yeah. Um, so uh, it is a really fantastic show. I thought it's so suspenseful. Um, but because the story kind of takes so many like different twists and turns, I really want to leave it up to you to give uh, as much of a spoilery or non-spoilery kind of summary of what this show is as possible um, because I don't want to spoil anything. So Yeah, yeah that is the hardest thing when talking about the show mm. is um, <laughs> not giving it away. But yeah. essentially at its core, it is a story about two people from seemingly very different worlds sort of meeting by what we're led to believe is circumstance, happenstance, um, happy coincidence in the beginning, uh, <laughs> and then how they deal with each other and what their, what their common ground is in the beginning. For example, they're, you know, they're living in Los Angeles in the 90s and there's a, a man, an unknown man, sort of terrorising the women of Los Angeles and so they have that common ground and then where do they go from there? There are different viewpoints on that and then as they reveal more about their personalities, that's when it starts to get, yeah, the, the suspense comes in and, and everyone's sort of left not sure who is who and what is what and what to believe and it's, yeah, really terrifying and exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely intense. Yeah, it's a very and it's and it's quite it's quite long. It's like it's a two like a, I think it was an hour each. The two halves were with a yeah. From se- memory, the second yeah. act's a little shorter. He sort of mm. goes at, at a much quicker pace. But it is yeah, being a, a two act play. Um, yeah, it's it's a long journey to go on mm. every night. Definitely. And um and a very a very interesting set as well. It's um yeah, might want to talk a little bit about that. But yeah, I was I was really impressed with how I guess how the creativity with space that was used um on the night. And uh and also guess wanted to know how much rehearsal time you had with the with the actual set. Yeah, right. That was something that uh from the beginning we knew for this play was going to be essential because these two people are in a house. And so the house is as much a, a character, I suppose. And using the wonderful courthouse hotel space uh, in North Melbourne, which we used for our production of Terminus, and it was really enjoyable for us how much we were able to transform the way we used the space um, between the two different productions, which if you come and see it, you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> but we did build in you know, the kitchen and, and set up a lounge room and everything in there. We were able to use the architecture of the, the room itself using the different doorways in and out um, as the doorways into the house, which was really fun. Use the bathroom that's already there. So we were really, really lucky. But um, it was a way that we all really wanted to work and have available during the rehearsal period because, you know, we wanted it to be a livable space. And so the courthouse was amazing. They had us in there two or three days a week as we slowly built in the set and we rehearsed in their full days and everything with them. So they've been incredibly generous with their time and allowing us in. And they were really excited about what we did with it as well. Yeah, they love the different things that people can bring to that space. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's been yeah enormous challenge because none of us in North of Eight are <laughs> at our root a designer, but we're all really passionate about making it happen. So, yeah, we became very resourceful. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
so it's a I guess you could call this a two-hander very mm-hmm. much yeah so your character's mode and there's also um it's Kashmir cinnamon is it correct um, yes plays plays Peter yes and I found it well yeah well, well obviously one male character one one female character that's yeah always a really interesting opposition but uh, I guess the way um sort of Maud and Peter both played with very uh, I guess familiar male characters and female characters in in fiction so might might start with yours so. So your character is a psychiatrist, right? Or yes. psychiatrist, doctor. She can't really seem to make up her mind what the title is. <laughs> what her title is. Um, but yeah, sort of, yeah, the psychiatrist, doctor, so a role that sort of requires like a lot of professionalism, presumably this idea that, you know, you, someone who understands the brain, mm-hmm. um, but who's sort of far from stable over the course of the play. Yeah, um, yeah so could you maybe talk, uh, tell us a little bit about how you, yeah, sort of play with those two opposi- oppositions, stability and instability with Maud. Yeah, it was quite fun because uh, obviously, yeah, the the psychiatrist in her uh, is so primary and it's something that I think she uh, went after to understand people on a, you know, to understand people. But then what she learns, I learned throughout the course of the play is that your sort of frontal cognitive assessment of a situation is such a tiny part of what's really ever going on. Um, She learns a lot about instinct and how and the body and and how everything lives in there which is just such a great thing to explore as an actor because you do spend so much time as an actor discovering how the body responds in circumstances and then to be able to have a character go through that journey as well was really cool I guess because um yeah you're trying to shut off so much of yourself in order to deal with things uh, or Maud is anyway, as a psychiatrist, mm. uh, she wants to shut off a lot of the emotional and, and instinctual responses. And then Peter comes in and he he really gets to her because he's such a, he's so present in his, in his body and he's full of life and he's really surprising and it's, yeah. And then obviously what then happens between them, it just blows all that out of the water. You can't really cognitively understand it as it's happening to you. So you've got no choice but to go back to sort of your instincts, mm. which is really cool. Yeah, really, really, and and I guess um, yeah, also touching on like the idea of instinct, and I, I, I just found another really interesting thing the play explores is how people decide um, whether a stranger is trustworthy or not. Yes, um, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. and that's something that Gardner McKay says about the play. He mm. has it in the back of the of the script. He says, if this play is about anything, it is about our vast ability to manipulate one another and our mm-hmm. our our immediate power to forgive. And our capacity to believe any truth as it suits us. Because it is just about survival and what we have to do in order to be like, no, I'm okay. Things are okay. So we tell ourselves things that really aren't true in order to (laughs) feel all right Mm -hmm. and to feel Mm -hmm. like we're surviving. It's really interesting. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And as as I sort of touched on before, the common like male characters in fiction Mm. that are... that were explored again. This is spoiler territory here, um, <laughs> but I guess it is. As as you mentioned, it's um, one like pretty common one is the I guess the male like violent psychopath with a string of um, mm. like female victims that gets yeah. all the media attention. Yes, and uh, for lack of a better word, maybe like the charming con man in a way is also mm. played with. I would say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's something that yeah, the 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 Toya who is the mm. this unknown creature who's stalking Los Angeles is um, definitely through the research that Maud has done to try to figure out who he could possibly be to try to help solve the case. I mean, there's never any evidence that he's forced entry into any of the homes he gets into, you know, the women he attacks. He's clearly won them over. 
Uh, and that's the most terrifying thing, is that he didn't jump out of the dark and, and attack them from behind. He, he won their trust. He won, you know, his way into their lives. And that's something that, yeah, we're all constantly... Oh, not wanting to believe another person would do, but but we do it every day on a t- on a tiny level. We you know people manipulate each other all the time. Um, mm. Yeah, some people just take it way too far. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I think we definitely all believe that we like to think we're too smart for that. Yeah, yeah. we do. Mm. Yeah, and Maud yeah. really does. Really, <laughs> really thinks that if anyone mm. would know this man when she met him, it would be her. Mm. Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. Well, there's also, I mean, there's a toyer and there's also the, the voyeur or the, mm-hmm. the voyeur. The voyeur. <laughs> um, so your French jury coming into play. <laughs> yeah. And my American as well. Um, <laughs> You're doing great. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that you've, yeah, you've got the toy and the, and the voyeur mm. in, in, in there as well. Um, and they're sort of, obviously, they have the similarities, but quite, like, significant differences as well. Yeah, it's because the toyer could be anyone uh, and from a psychiatrist's point of view, perhaps uh, Maud wants him to be the worst kind. You know, is he is he actually psychopathic, or is he, you know, what drives him? Whereas with the voyeur, it's who is you know has been watching her. She doesn't know who he is. It's just been someone who watches. And it's funny because when I was doing research into voyeurism, it's sort of like now in the age of the internet and, and film being what it is and all that kind of stuff. Anyone can be a voyeur in their own home and. We all have that part of us. Sometimes the audience says to me that they felt like the voyeur watching the play because you see things that are clearly you wouldn't normally see in somebody's, in your day-to-day sort of life or that anyone would want you to see. But yeah, in this context, back in the 90s, living up in Randall Canyon, yeah, it seems like a really deliberate act to watch somebody through the window of their home without being seen. It's just really creepy. Mm. <laughs> uh, oh, of course, yeah. And um, and you also touched on the film there. I, I did um watching it. I, I guess notice a lot of like cinematic sort of elements, maybe mm. in maybe at least at the story level, um, you know, like Hitchcocky and even sort of uh-huh. in the way that this play is, you know, written or even um, performed as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering if you picked up on any of that or if you agree or. Yeah, I mean the cinematic thing, and definitely, I think a first reading of the play or um, on its sort of its first level. It can feel like that because it, it does mm. feel like a neat sort of a story in some ways. But then when you delve into who the people are and what drives them, it takes it on a different track. Uh, cinematic, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't thought a lot about it, but it did bring to mind a lot of films that I have seen over the years. So I think it is such a, it's the never-ending fascination about what makes people do what they do that has, yeah, obviously started. This play was also made into a short like a, like a novel as well. Gardner McKay was a novelist. Yeah, the different ways in which we, we consume stories has definitely changed. So cinema has definitely carried on these sort of themes and ideas. But it's, yeah, I don't know if we managed to make the play cinematic in any way, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, fair enough. But, um, but I, I, I guess at least, like, it also was written in the 90s because it, it did sort of seem to belong to that kind of, I guess, like, technological world. Like, the idea that, you know, you mm. cut someone's phone line and then that's it. They they have no way of, like, <laughs> calling yeah. out for help. Yeah. Um, now, not so much. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you cut someone's landline, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> they have a landline still? <laughs> <laughs> if they have one, yeah. Yeah, right. And my character, you know, I'm a wealthy yeah. woman. By now, mm. I would have, you know, an intercom system with mm. so I could see a, talk to a person down at my front gate. Whereas back then, people still opened the door when it was knocked on. You still answered the phone when it rang. Caller ID was a relatively new thing. So, you, you know, if somebody 
leaves hang-ups, you don't know who it is. Hmm. So there, there was really so much more of an ability to to do that sort of terrorising of another human being back then, whereas now it's, yeah, it's very different, invasive in a very different way. Hmm. Mm. And I believe it was, um, like, the movie Scream that led to the rise of popularity in caller ID. <laughs> I don't, it might just be, like, a correlation doesn't equal causation, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Sales of, yeah. Phones <laughs> with caller ID did go up significantly after that movie came out. I love that. That's a great fact. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sure it's, yeah, it's, like, stories like Toya that sort of, mm. yeah, mm. lead to, like, people wanting to, well, like, I guess it's reassuring as well to yeah. a certain level. Yeah, to a certain extent. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, Also, Jack, Ellie, if you wanted to jump in here. I I was just really curious about the whole technology aspect, just Mm. coming out of this, uh, coming from blind eye, I guess. Do Mm. you think, because we've been talking about the 90s a little bit on the show already, and how they're 30 years ago now. Do you still think those kinds of, you were just talking about the way the technology has evolved. Do you still think Mm. those messages carry weight in our society that we have today? Mm. I think in some ways it can perhaps get to the core of the issue because it's not complicated by all the things that, for not in a negative sense, but all the things that do complicate how we communicate and everything now. You know, this was back before internet dating or anything like that. People still mm. hitchhiked around the country. So I think in some ways it's easier to look at because it feels simplified to us. It feels... Um, a little distant, a little removed. So it's easier to see the human beings in it uh, mm. in a way. Or oh, that's how I've felt doing it is that I'm more able to see the person having to be motivated to do it because it's one thing to, you know, contact somebody online or send them a text message than it is to leave your house, go up into a hill and, you know, it feels like such a bigger decision to do it, which makes it sort of easier to look at as an act rather than oh anyone could have just done that and then be like oh, I won't do it again hmm. but you know to make those decisions to to do those things yeah in some ways I think it's easy to understand the concept underneath rather than the cleverness of how it was done if yeah. that makes sense I like that it's yeah with the technology less integrated it's easy to mm. delve into the personable yeah. aspects of the player yeah that's really cool thank you okay. oh, thank you so much that's all we have time for unfortunately unless there were a couple last like, really really quick things you wanted to add for but oh, all I would add no I'd, um, hmm. no thank you very much for having me <laughs> <laughs> no nothing else thank you so much for coming yeah. <laughs> um, right, so yeah I, I do definitely recommend um, seeing Toy so it runs until um, May 13th at the Courthouse Hotel that's 86 to 90 Errol Street in North Melbourne and so we're just going to go to a song now and then you're going to hear my live review um, <laughs> of the of the play so yeah definitely well stick around for the whole show but especially for that my thoughts on it yes um so <laughs> next song coming up is uh spray on pants by kiss jc you're listening to artspin on two nation um with christian jack ellie and Ron martin special guest thank you very much 